0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
1: Welcome to the show. This is Mayor's Monday on WHMP, and we have with us the mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia. Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being with us every month. We really appreciate it. What I'd like to ask you about, I understand that your budget is before the city council tonight. And while... The idea of a budget and numbers and math is enough to make a lot of listeners' eyes and ears glaze over. It's nonetheless the crucial document for the city, for any city, for any municipality. It's what are we going to spend our money on? How are we going to take care of ourselves and our quality of life and the people who live and visit the city? So it's it's a crucial matter. And I have a number of issues about the budget that I'd like to ask you, Uh, but you were telling me before we went on the air something I did not understand, which seems a bit unique for Holyoke, and that is the way in which the budget is presented to the city council. So perhaps you could explain what happens with the budget that is presented by you to the council and then what traditionally happens, because it's really quite fascinating.
2: Yeah, so I and thank you for having me back on. By the way, uh, it's right now at this time of the year. It's a it's a big year for many cities and towns across the Commonwealth and uh, as we focus on year end, um, responsibilities and uh, finalize our budget tonight. The Council um, will be making their final decision um, uh, to support the budget. They can only cut, but they can't add um, and for the first time in I would say probably 10 or 15 years, a balanced budget was submitted with a surplus. And so previous administration or administrations have submitted a budget that has been well over anticipated revenue projections, which traditionally has caused the city council to cut. And uh, I've, um, you know, made the hard decisions um, uh, for the council. Um, so, uh, so that they don't have to be in a position uh, to do that. So tonight's going to be interesting. We'll see what else they decide uh, to cut. Um, uh, what we're trying to do here is build up departments so that we close gaps and keep up with uh, critical services. And you know, I'm looking forward to um, you know, working w- with my. Well, I like to refer to them as my colleagues on the council. We're all in local government uh, to be sure that you know we're not cutting more. Um, to the point where we can impact uh, the quality of life services. So, Mayor
1: Garcia, let me ask you this. I find it fascinating that the tradition, as maybe that's the wrong word, but at least the process in the past in Holyoke for the mayor submitting a budget, as I understand what you just said, is that the mayor would submit a budget that was not balanced, uh, and that it called for expenditures above revenues, and then right. the, that put the city council in the – position that it had to make cuts because the right. city has to have a balanced budget. Right. And therefore, it left the critical or many critical decisions about how uh, money would be spent to the council uh, and also made them the uh, uh, persons responsible for cuts uh, instead of the mayor. That that seems to me that's a not a very good process, and you've addressed that, so- can you tell us just a bit more about that?
2: Yeah, so I think that just overall uh, and, and in healthier communities, uh, it, healthier communities tend to have an internal capacity to the point where they can, you know, effectively look at revenues and put a process together that makes sure that when they're working with departments, they're understanding uh, what the um, what the needs are to keep up with services while also Offering a balanced approach to what we're collecting in revenue, and um, and so that I mean, that that's just uh, uh you know, the the, the basic uh, of um, how local governments uh, should operate. Um, uh, but nonetheless, um, I think that this budget currently that we're presenting here, um, it's um, it's you know, this again, I've I've only been here eight, nine months, and this is uh, my year one go around with this. We still have a, a lot more work to do. Um, and so I anticipate between now and the next three years we're gonna continue to address structural issues when it comes to um, uh, uh, when it comes to uh, internal um, management of our you know limited resources. Um, and I can if, if we continue to um, uh, lead conservatively and with a process and a system, um, that helps identify the expectation of how we put our our budget together um, uh, then I you know I, I think that that definitely gets the ship moving in, in a solid direction uh,
1: mayor Garcia I'd like to ask you about a few specifics if I might uh, conversation that we'd had with the uh, mayor of uh, greenfield uh, after her city council or the city council of greenfield cut the police budget by some 20 20 percent in response to a uh, situation and a verdict in a superior court case uh, that implicated the police department. Um, That was a conversation that I really found fascinating and really important to that city. We also had a conversation with the mayor of Northampton, which indicated that the police budget in her budget this year, as approved by the Northampton City Council, is essentially level funded, which is, in effect, a small uh, reduction as well. Uh, I would like to know where the budget for the police stands in the city of Holyoke, how it's being treated, how it's being received, whether it's being increased, decreased, level funded, and the like. So tell us, please.
2: Yeah, so I think, you know, the first I want to uh, describe here is that Holyoke is nothing like Northampton and Greenfield. The quality of life uh, issues are demographics, very, very different. So I can never compare. Uh, our police departments, the challenges we have going on in our city are very, very different. But nonetheless, to, to say the least here, there is a modest increase, largely just due to uh, modest, very minimal increase in the police budget, largely uh, due to just regular contractual um, obligations. Uh, but um, uh, in this budget, uh, we're we're trying to cast, we've been having a difficult time. Um, maintaining our um, uh, capacity of um, uh, of, uh, of officers of what we budget for, um, uh, because it's it's uh, very you know our process for hiring um, dep- is uh, very dependent on the civil service process. So it's not like you can just hire you know two new officers next week and say here here's your badge um, and good luck. You know there's a whole process that can take a really long time uh, before we can finally get people into positions. Mind you, at the same time, people are retiring, people move on to different jobs, so it's 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 a target that's constantly moving and and hard to keep up with. So um, uh, we had added um, in our budget to. um, uh, uh, Enough space for additional officers so that we can cast our net wider when we're reaching out to that civil service list. Um, uh, but again, I think just, you know, having conversations with counselors that that's something that might be talked about tonight about possibly um, cutting. I think we put on our budget 92 officers in the past. We've done, I think, somewhere between 88 and 90 officers. Um, and even though we budget for 88 or 90 officers, we. We hover around 82, 83 officers um, hired, so it's 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 been a tough balance um, to maintain the workforce. Um, And uh, so yeah, I I think just overall there isn't any real significant uh, increases uh, in our police budget, but instead trying to kind of move things around as it exists to to help with uh, internal capacity there. We do have um, uh, two proposals uh, in front of us. That's currently being vetted by a a review committee um, for an internal police department audit. That's gonna really help us, I think, look at the whole picture to better understand, um, you know, where is it that we're doing well? Where are our gaps and what can we be doing differently to improve our position in the police department? And I think a lot of us in the city are looking at looking forward to see those recommendations so that we can better understand what those, um, you know, progressive changes are going to look like for the police department. So we're treading lightly until we learn more. Um, about what's happening inside our department.
1: The police department audit for Holyoke, as I understand it, is an audit ba- that that, is fo- that will focus on or is focused on performance as well as on numbers and dollars. Is that right?
2: A number of things: um, uh, performance, um, the management of uh, resources, grants, um, looking at staff capacity. Um, I, we're trying to. It's it's a holistic overview. Um, to just, just no different than a, a, a business reviewing its own, to, just to uh, its own performance to make sure that they're keeping up with um, the needs of the community um, and that we're, you know, as decision makers that we're putting our funds in the right areas or offering the right um, technical, whether if it's training, whether if it's uh, uh, shifting how we operate, operate administratively so that we're, you know, being responsible fiduciary agents in, in our local organization here.
1: Well, let me ask you about that, because the issue that has roiled Holyoke uh, in the past, and again recently, was is the issue of large payments of overtime to yep. Holyoke police officers and a number of officers, quite a significant, not in, well, I, I don't want to characterize it, but a number of officers making like $150,000 plus a year significantly because of overtime. I'm not sure if that's actually for services all to the city, but I'm wondering if you could comment on that and whether that's a matter that will be, and is being addressed.
2: That's what I want to look into too. I mean, I think, you know, every time we have these discussions and, and, you know, it, just like everybody else, it turns my stomach. And the more I look into it, there's so many variables involved. Um, uh, that. Contributes to that overtime, um, but it's a symptom of a bigger problem, and that's what I'm looking for, um, and, and I'm really hoping that this process is going to help me identify where that hole is that is contributing to the greater need of this overtime. And I think part of the reason includes because we're you know, low on on our. Um, uh, you know, the available officers and it's not the reason but I think that's one contributing factor and you know cover people gotta cover ours um I think that there's also you know how we're managing these grant resources and so it's that's what I'm looking for if if we can have this um qualified um uh, firm help us look into these um so that we can better understand what's causing these issues so that as a manager I can like feel confident in my decision uh, when I make it that um, the change is going to help resolve um, the issue, if that makes sense.
1: We are speaking with Holyoke Mayor Joshua Garcia. This is Mayors Monday on WHMP and we're going to be right back with the mayor of Holyoke after these messages. Stick with us, please.
0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP. A lot of mattress stores, all they talk about is price. Sale, 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 save, 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 blah, blah, blah. I get it. No one wants to pay a dollar more than you have to. But what do you really know about mattresses? Are you an expert? I'm not. And I have a furniture store. So I at least know a little. Hi, it's Robin from Talon Furniture. We mostly sell therapeutic mattresses at Talon Furniture. Not temperpedic. not trying to mislead you. Therapeutic the best mattress value I've ever found. And believe me, I've looked around. Therapeutic mattresses are made in Brockton. I've walked the floor and it was reassuring because there's no toxicity, no off-gassing. Therapeutic mattresses are clean and made by fellow Red Sox fans. Play the sale, sale, sale game if you want. That's not for me. A therapeutic mattress from Talent Furniture is your best bet and best deal. Today, tomorrow, or whenever you decide to buy a new mattress.
4: Hi, I'm Kate Kelly, public health nurse with the City of Northampton. The Northampton Health Department is holding vaccination clinics in Northampton and other locations in the region. Outdoor walk-in availability has reopened at the Northampton High School. Dates, locations, and appointments for all clinic sites can be found at the City of Northampton website. Go to www.northamptonma.gov and click on Vaccine Clinics. The clinics continue to offer Pfizer, pediatric Pfizer, and Moderna vaccines, and in special situations, Johnson & Johnson. Clinics will also offer boosters to anyone ages five and up. The COVID vaccine is free for anyone from any community. Please bring your vaccine card and insurance card. If you do not have health insurance, you can still have a vaccine. Public health nurses are available at every clinic for your questions or concerns. Booster shots are one more layer of protection against COVID-19 and they prevent a huge number of people from needing to go to the hospital. We want to protect our most vulnerable or simply unlucky neighbors from getting the virus. We can't afford to let our guard
5: down.
0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
1: We continue our conversation with Holyoke Mayor Joshua Garcia. The mayor and I and Monty were talking during the break about the problems of hiring for the police department and the problems that many municipalities face, which is too few people uh, on lists or available to fill the positions in the department. And of course, if there are, if the if the positions are uh, essentially unfilled, there's a problem that the police department has to fill the shifts and necessarily those officers who are available and on staff are going to have overtime because the shifts are going to be filled. That's a, that's a operational necessity. And I guess I don't see some easy solution for that, particularly given that Holyoke is bound to go through the civil service process, among other things, for hiring new officers, in addition to sending them to the academy and getting certified and all of that.
2: And I got to say, like, our our local department, you know, have been really good with um, navigating the (laughs) complex.
5: We are experiencing technical difficulties with the (laughs) mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia. (laughs) See if he comes back soon or if
2: it's his internet or it's ours, but I think it's Staying ours. Behind, oh, there You know, the situation, at least, or frustration, uh, Yeah, yeah, you know, when, when you're constantly um, asking officers to, um, to to stay behind another shift. when You know, most of them want to go home and spend time with their families. But, you know, I got to say that the, the chief um, and the management team at the police department has been getting, you know, looking for different and very creative ways uh, to keep up with that, while at the same time, uh myself and the chief we work together to like really think very proactively to a point where again these are what i call structural issues um uh you know and sometimes you know our hands do get tied up here with uh, civil service you have to um hire from the lists um and also uh priority is given to folks that are um local that live uh, within the city borders but not every Holyoke residents signing up to be a police officer right now. Um, so often, you know, once in a while we do have to seek uh, to waive, uh, to waive that so that we can get officers that are on that list and possibly possibly hiring them that are seeking to go to other communities. Um, those are just challenges that that you know we're constantly faced with and I'm really looking forward to see how or what recommendations come out of this analysis to further help develop us develop our position you know, just to make better um, decisions that are going to strengthen uh, the needs of that department.
1: I'd be interested in this, Mayor Garcia, uh, and I think that this would be particular interest for people uh, outside as well as inside the city, and that is how would you characterize the relationship between the Holyoke Police Department and the uh, residents of Holyoke at this point?
2: I would say, you know, I, I think we have... a. Uh, uh, and, and this was, you know, the last time, I think the very first conversation we had um, when I when I came in as mayor and I came to this interview, uh, when I was knocking on doors on the primary, um, my focus was solely on downtown, which is flat South Holyoke, our tenement buildings, a core center area of our city. And uh, what I learned um, from, our, from our residents uh, was not, uh, we are afraid of our police department. It was where are the police? Um, uh, and so it really shifted um, my belief that uh, from from the narrative that is happening everywhere else. Um, and so understanding that i you know, since I've came in here, um, uh, working closely with our chief and trying to. Um, uh, offer uh, greater visibility. Um, and and you know contributing to the, the community policing model um, and making sure that um, uh, that that folks um, know that their 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 police is very present and they're here to uh, protect and, and serve the community and I and because of that I think that um, the relationship between my the police department and the community is is a uh, uh, one that is that is uh, positive. Um,
1: Think that's really, I think that's really in, an interesting interesting perspective. Um, I'd like to ask uh, a related question. It may take us to a slightly different place, which is whether or not the ARPA money available for Holyoke uh, will be used or might be used in some ways to uh, – to, I know it's supposed to be used. It's the American Rescue Plan Act. It's money to recover from the pandemic. But I'm wondering whether any of that money might be used for, for – uh, uh, uh public safety matters including the police uh
2: yeah we're we're anticipated to get another 14 another round of arpa roughly 14 million we do have a survey that's going to be distributed very soon to kind of gauge the pulse of the community as far as to what they like to see the arpa money invested there is a a a priority for me to be sure that Funds are focused and specific. That's going to offer the greatest impact uh, possible. Public safety is is an element of it. Um, some ideas have been bounced around, um, but I want to be sure that um, uh, you know it's it's gonna It's it's like putting a puzzle together. You're going to get a lot of good ideas, a lot of different requests, and I want to be sure that um, the administration, our administration, focuses on. Um, uh, you know that we're not trying to just. You know, spread it all to keep everybody happy. Kind of a thing. It's more focused, specific and um, going to advance the highest priorities we've identified uh, throughout the course of uh, and, and not just me. Since I've been here, but a lot of us have been involved in our community for a long time and we know more or less what our highest priorities are and uh, that and in alignment with also what we hear in this community survey as well it's going to help us keep our finger on the pulse on you know what the uh, citywide community interests and desires are too so it's a, it's a target we're trying to hit um and uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident public safety measures are going to be in there and and uh, we'll see where it lands
1: well let's end with this in terms of what will land with regard to the use of arpa money uh, holyoke like every other municipality in the valley is concerned about economic development and recovery from the pandemic. And I'm wondering whether the, the ARPA money has, you have in mind for the ARPA money, or at least are envisioning for the ARPA money, ways to uh, increase the economic base of Holyoke.
2: Well, that's the thing. I think what we want to do, when I say greatest impacts, those investments that are going to, I don't want to fund what I like to say is like taking an Advil for a headache, right? Like these short-term feel-good investments, which are important too, uh, but instead, those impacts that are gonna, that's gonna cultivate and, and keep growing, um, and offer a, a you know whatever that in, that one-time investment is, is gonna be a, a boost in the greater economy of our city. Some of the things we talked about uh, includes you know in the past um, with the the first round of ARPA. We used funds to support small business um, impact, so small businesses were getting up to um, uh, $25,000, um, depending on the impact um, that they're, you know, that they've experienced. Um, and the, and just, just like, you know, 25,000 kind of in the form of a grant um, for them to build up. Uh, we've talked about possibly using ARPA to Uh, be a uh, for any business that's looking into the city, move into the city that uh, a dollar amount um, uh, is given. We haven't talked about what that dollar amount is, whether if it's 10,000 or 20,000. If you move to the city, Um, we've talked about that. Um, The biggest one is uh, the victory theater. Uh, We certainly uh, looked at um, trying to make sure that we uh, make an aggressive investment on the victory to help close that gap so we can finally. Uh, see that project come off the ground. But that's a much more strategic discussion we're currently having between the city and the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and even the federal government. Um, but without sharing too much, um, just know. That oh, come on. There, Give it, us the it,
1: inside scoop. There's a we're strong right.
2: <laughs> desire to make that investment because we know that that is going to that's an anchor right there that's going to help spur uh, further economic development, so we are talking about that.
1: Yeah, well, that victory theater—it's a beautiful building. If it can oh. be brought back to life, it could be extraordinary in terms of the vitality and life of, of of Holyoke. I mean, in terms of an anchor and giving giving rise to other businesses and restaurants and other venues, really. It'd, so well
2: good. you heard it you heard it first right here in the Bill
1: Newman show. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I've been reading <laughs> about Give you a
2: teaser. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, we'll come back and do it. We have been speaking with the mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia. This has been Mayor's Monday on J- WHMP. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, for taking the time for being with us. We really appreciate you and your time you. with us.
0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
6: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The state has issued new guidance on the use of masks and face coverings in Massachusetts. The Massachusetts Department of Public Health advises that effective July 1st, wearing masks indoors is optional for most people, regardless of vaccination status. The determination comes after considering the number of vaccinated residents and COVID-19 cases. To reduce Main Street traffic congestion in Northampton, The Picture Main Street Project will be having a public forum about the city's parking policy in that area. The Picture Main Street Project will be taking parking recommendations as well as discussing the first steps in the process moving forward. The forum will be taking place at 5 p.m. tonight on Zoom. The Greenfield Police Department is investigating multiple reports of hateful and graphic graffiti on both the buildings and play structures at Hillside Park as well as homes in the area. The Greenfield police say the graffiti is too obscene to share. They're investigating the reports and ask that anyone with information call 773 5411 and ask to speak to a Greenfield detective. Testing by the Mass DEP is showing asbestos in the debris from the old cereal factory fire in Orange on June 4th. The Orange Health Department says asbestos was found in the window caulking in previous testing of the building. The Board of Health is asking that anyone who finds debris from the fire should email the town to arrange a debris cleanup.
0: For today, look for a mixture of sunshine and clouds, highs 80 to 84. Tonight, partly cloudy, overnight lows 54 to 58. And the other for Tuesday, mostly sunny, highs in the low to mid-80s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP.
6: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
7: Yo soy Johan Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Los negociadores del Senado anunciaron el domingo el marco de una respuesta bipartidista a los tiroteos masivos del mes pasado, un avance notable pero limitado que ofrece restricciones modestas a las armas y esfuerzos intensificados para mejorar la seguridad escolar y los programas de salud mental. La propuesta está muy por debajo de los pasos más duros buscados durante mucho tiempo por el presidente Joe Biden y muchos demócratas. Aún así, Biden abrazó el acuerdo y su promulgación marcaría un cambio significativo después de años de masacres armadas que han producido poco más que un estancamiento en el Congreso. Dado el apoyo bipartidista, no hay excusas para la demora y no hay razón por la que no deba avanzar rápidamente en el Senado y la Cámara, dijo Biden. El compromiso haría que los registros juveniles de los compradores de armas menores de 21 años estén disponibles cuando se sometan a verificaciones de antecedentes. El acuerdo ofrecería dinero a los estados para que promulguen e implementen leyes de bandera roja que faciliten quitar armas temporalmente a personas consideradas potencialmente violentas. Además, más de fondos para reforzar los programas de salud mental y seguridad escolar. En otras informaciones, los miembros del Comité de la Cámara de Representantes que investigan los disturbios en el Capitolio dijeron el domingo que han descubierto suficiente evidencia para que el Departamento de Justicia considere una acusación penal sin precedentes contra el expresidente Donald Trump por tratar de anular los resultados de las elecciones de 2020. A medida que se desarrollan las audiencias, el representante Adam Schiff dijo que le gustaría que el departamento investigue cualquier acusación creída. De actividad electiva por parte de Donald Trump. Los legisladores indicaron que quizás su audiencia más importante en el transcurso de las audiencias sea el fiscal general Merrick Garland, quien debe decidir si su departamento puede y debe procesar a Trump. No dejaron ninguna duda en cuanto a su propia opinión sobre si la evidencia es suficiente para proceder. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega, y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP.
6: This news minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
8: Lift
0: every voice and sing This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Ring, ring
1: when we started this show some dozen years ago, I think the the general reaction when Carly uh, Tartakov and Jacqueline Smith-Cooks started talking with us about Juneteenth was, what? What is Juneteenth? And I... Uh, I had heard of Juneteenth, but I hadn't really focused on it as a major event in American history. And between then and now, Juneteenth Mm -hmm. has become a day of national observance. And I think that I, I, I hesitate to say that's progress, but it is certainly a change, I think, in perception and I think a recognition of the importance of the struggle for human rights and civil rights in the country. And so I'm really pleased today that Kari Tartikoff and Jacqueline Smith-Crooks are hosts of the, who are the hosts of the uh, segment that we have uh, regularly on this show, Black in the Valley, uh, wanted to use today to focus on and commemorate Juneteenth, which of course is upcoming. So let me turn the microphone over to you, Kari Tartikoff.
9: Yes, thank you, Bill. Uh, And this year, Juneteenth is going to be celebrated as our newest national holiday. And our guests, Ms. Anika Lopes and Dr. Amilcar Shabazz are our guests to tell us how Amherst and the Valley are going to celebrate this momentous holiday. I'm going to introduce uh, Anika just briefly. Anika is a newly elected Amherst town councilor from a long-standing Amherst family of African and Indigenous American heritage. Uh, some of her uh, relatives fought during the Civil War and have lived here. She's she's uh, been been uh, part of a family that's been here for over what seven um, generations, yes. correct? Anika.
3: Yes, that's correct.
9: Yeah, uh, and we'll, to join, who's the person who's going to join us too, is Dr. Milkar Shabaz. He and his wife Demetria lived in Galveston, Texas the last place in the U.S. where black uh, enslaved people were told that they were free from bondage. They are both professors and uh, Milkar, I'd like you to start with telling us what, because there are a lot of people who still don't know what Juneteenth is. so, how long has this been a thing? And how and where
10: did it start?
9: amilcar thank you for thank you. being
10: here. Thank you, glad to join. Uh, do you, are you able to hear me? Yes. Well, very good. So um, Juneteenth has really been going on since uh, June 19th, 1865. Uh, mm-hmm. Folks um, just, uh, uh, as the word spread, uh, would leave the plantation, would leave the, the work site and uh, kind of regather gather, and, and think about what's, uh, what the next move would be, wondering about reparations, wondering about how to build free lives. And uh, each year after that, um, especially in East Texas, which is where you have the largest concentration of African-Americans in the state, uh, Texas is a big state you move down south to the Rio Grande Valley, you know, it's, um, it's more Mexican American. Um, and uh, if you further out west, similarly, but in the east was uh, heavily uh, cotton agriculture, and heavily where most of the uh, plantations were, where African Americans were enslaved. I've attended one of the largest, uh, continually celebrated um, Juneteenths. Uh, it's in a place called Mahia, Texas, um and there was a tragic event there back in around 1981 where three young men uh were uh, suspected of smoking marijuana and the uh, police took them to um uh, arrested them and took was trying to take them to the police substation that was on the other side of comanche crossing on the other side of this little body of water put them in a three-man boat so that six people three big police officers three young men about the age that I was then 19 20 20 years old three young men uh, in a six in a, in a six people in a three-man boat it immediately capsized as it got out in the water they uh, uh, the men were handcuffed and the three men died the three officers lived they swam back to shore um, and uh, were all you know could not were not found guilty of anything not even violating boating safety. So, you know, this, this is uh, one of the tragic stories where for me in uh, uh, Juneteenth, this is back in the ar- early 80s when I was celebrating, but that place of Mejia, where I went out to um, uh, following that tragedy in su- subsequent years, you're talking about tens of thousands of people that gather out there. And essentially what it is, is big family reunions would happen. So I'm talking about continually going back to 1866, people would just gather on this on land, and uh, and have huge family reunions get together on June 19th in Houston, Texas. The African Americans pooled their monies in the uh, uh, right in the 1860s, 1870s, and bought a park, which is now known today as Emancipation Park in Houston. And again, this was to to have their celebrations on June 19th. So it has started this way. It uh, began to spread outside of, of Texas uh, very early on. People took notice of it. And, uh, and eventually, it uh, as of last year, became a federal holiday.
2: Mm.
1: I'd be interested to know this, if I might, from you, Professor Shabazz. Why the, does the date become something that America can embrace? We can embrace a Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. We can embrace or at least recognize and have officially noted Juneteenth. So the the commemorations are there, but the substance of what we should be celebrating is still so sorely lacking. Can, Can you reconcile that for me a bit, please?
10: I think in the wake of Breonna Taylor, in the wake of of George Floyd and the wake of the shooting in Buffalo, New York, and so many other instances that reveal this rise of white supremacy and white nationalism, really what Juneteenth is that we need to embrace is the embracing of black people in this country. Embrace us, hug us, love us, accept us, okay? Get, deal with our presence in, in this history in a better way and don't start anti-critical race theory madness to try to prevent the truth of our history being included in what's taught, being into, included. Let's have real truth telling. So it's really just about, I think the, the key of this holiday is to embrace black people in all their, their fullness and mm-hmm. love. Yes, to let, everyone
9: know that black lives matter. And, um, I'd like to turn to Anika Lopes, who was going to do is heading up a special heritage, African American heritage walk. And I think we're going to do that. uh, In about half a minute, so. Anika. Hello. Hi. What's going on in Amherst?
3: Okay, so the weekend of the uh, June 18th and June 19th is Juneteenth weekend in Amherst. Uh, I'm here to talk specifically about Saturday, June 18th, which will be the first descendant led and curated heritage walking tour celebrating the first Black and Afro-Indigenous families of Amherst that bridged the town to the military acts that ended slavery in America on June 19th, 1865. We have uh, the Thompson brothers uh, that were members of the 54th Massachusetts Volunteer Infantry Regiment and the 5th Cavalry. Um, including my four-time great-grandfather Christopher Thompson, who traveled to Texas uh, to bring the news of liberation. Uh, Ancestral Bridges, a new nonprofit that will be announced publicly for the first time during the tour, has collaborated with the Amherst History Museum and other organizations to bring this day free to the public. Uh, This is an experience-based walking tour with brief walking between epic and previously unrecognized Black historical landmarks. Um, These uh, stops include the West Cemetery, where we will begin, uh, where these soldiers are buried. The Emily Dickinson Museum, where one of them, uh, after returning, was a, and beforehand, actually was a fiddler for Emily Dickinson, who, and Emily Mm -hmm. wrote about him and her poetry. Uh, The Amherst uh, History Museum, which will be a first, this will be the first time that black and the the black people and the indigenous people have been shown in this museum. Okay, and this is the Amherst History Museum. So these exhibits are by, brought to you by Ancestral Bridges. We will also have artist Dr. Shirley Jackson Whitaker, who will be showing her work as well as announcing her recently launched uh, Tote to Vote campaign, which addresses voter suppression. There will be lunch at the museum and music. and We will move on to uh, briefly celebrate the two oldest black churches in Amherst, which are the Hope Church and the Goodwin Church. These churches were both established by the families that we will be uplifting throughout the day and uh those those stops will be brief but mighty and uh we will continue back to the history museum for those who would like to continue with the exhibits before closing with the drake the drake will bring us home with some music and further celebration again transportation if i hadn't said is generously provided by umass for those who are unable to walk the tour route. And uh, we certainly hope that as many of you will join us as possible. It should be a great day.
1: Tell us where to sign up. So
3: there's a sign up required. Um, Make it to Amherst. We will begin at 11 a.m. at the West Cemetery, 1030 a.m. at the Amherst High School parking lot for those that would like to utilize transportation.
1: And all we need to do is come. We don't need to sign up.
3: Show up, ready to
1: have a great day. We appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more with Black in the Valley with Carly Articles, Jacqueline Smith Crooks, and Nico Lopes, and Amakar Shabazz right after this.
0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
2: When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it.
3: In East Hampton, what we're doing is we are migrating all of our public records requests to civilian function in the IT department as they have a thorough handle on our digital records but also know where a lot of the hard copies are and can work with not only the police but other department heads to
8: get those requests filled.
2: 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the valley. We are WHMP.
0: Pacific Printing in Northampton has been a leader in screen printed and embroidered apparel in the Pioneer Valley for 30 years with 8,000 square feet of production. Pacific Printing produces thousands of custom garments for businesses, schools, teams, and events. Let the team of Pacific Printing create a professional look for you. Visit us at Damon Road in Northampton or OceanOfPromotion.com.
1: Pacific the ocean of
10: promotion. Start the
5: There's the Sauvignon Blanc side and the salami sandwich side. The brick and feather beer side and the broccoli side. The deli side and the Don Julio side. State Street in Northampton has two sides. Grocery on one side, beer, wines and spirits on the other. Cooper's Corner in Florence has two sides. Grocery on one side, beer, wines and spirits on the other. But the nice thing about State Street and Cooper's, you don't have to pick a side. You can choose both sides at both stores. The world feels so divided sometimes. For once, don't choose sides. Go to both sides, at both stores. State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits in Northampton and Cooper's Corner on the other side of Northampton in Florence. Two sides, same coin.
6: When it comes to investing, we're taught the higher the risk, the better the reward. Francis Ram, the money doctor, says it isn't necessarily true. We need to remember that with risk comes the potential for losses, and making up losses can set us back, or worse, delay our retirement. You've heard the testimonials for years about how her patented program helps people become 100% debt-free far ahead of schedule. But did you know that for more than 35 years, Dr. Ram has been helping people retire well with Without unnecessary risk? Dr. Ram says most people mistakenly accept that in order to earn attractive interest rates, they must tolerate risk and that choosing safety means settling for lackluster returns. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can earn competitive rates and minimize taxes without risking a single dollar of your hard earned savings. Contact the Money Doctor at Hug Your Money for a free consultation. Call 413 773 3333 or visit hugyourmoney.com.
0: This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
1: We continue our Black in the Valley segment and our celebration of Juneteenth with Carly Tartikoff, Jacqueline Smith-Crooks, Anika Lopes, and Amokar Shabazz. Let me turn the microphone back over to the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Smith-Crooks. Jacqueline.
8: Thank you, Bill. I have a question, and I'll direct it to both Anika and Brother shabazz um uh, some years ago when amherst celebrated one of its centennials, uh, i think the question came up in town meeting about black history in in um amherst and the prominent speaker said that amherst had no black black people had no history here in amherst um And for you to undertake this venture, I think, is quite a step. Can you speak to that?
3: Uh, Sure.
8: So, uh, yes, uh, that is
3: definitely a -er, popular opinion. I think especially when you look at some of Amherst history, people will begin with the 1970s and... For most, you know, and this was when, you know, you had quite an influx of, of black people coming to the area and for most to tell the story beyond before that it's archived, um, you know, myself in particular, I come from uh, a family that can be documented back uh, seven generations, but actually is linked to people who predate the colonies. So, um, you know, myself, when I walk around, if it's Hazel Avenue, Snell Street, these are districts that were established as historical, national historical districts by my late grandfather Dudley Bridges around 2000, you know, I smell the smells. I hear the talking. Um, This was just a regular for me growing up, hearing the stories of my great grandfather who was born. On uh, Hazel Avenue in 1896, you know, and a home that his father built, which still stands today, which is still family owned. Um, you know, so, and a lot of these folks, these were the entrepreneurs, these were the artists, um, these people worked, they all, so many of them worked at Amherst College and UMass. So they were there. It's just that. You know, a lot of this history is now just told through archives. And that's why this tour is so important as it is descendant-led and uh curated by people, you know, who are there and are showing their stories, uh, sharing their stories, rather. And I think that that's, you know, so so important, you know, just on a large level for appropriation to truly end, descendants need to speak their own truths. Um, so that that is my input, and I'm really excited that we're pulling back the curtain to really tell this lesser known history. That you know, for myself, for me and my family, is just life. But for many, it's it hasn't
8: been known. <laughs> Thank you for that, and I will I will segue into one last question I have. It's about the Drake. Uh, when I came here in the '70s. There was, uh, there was a making of history at the Drake that tied in with the lives of black people. Uh, can you speak on how that ties into the history and stories that may never be told? Sure. Uh, you know, the
3: Drake, though I was not there in person, I can't say, <laughs> um, it's a historical, it is a landmark. It's a black institution. Um, I, many a days of my grandmother saying, all right, call your grandfather, it's time, time, come home. And, you know, I mean, he, his friends, my uncles, they were there uh, in terms of music. I remember some of the greats that, um, you know, would have performed at UMass. And then afterwards they were at the Drake and they would come back, whether it was to my grandfather's home or my great grandfather, jazz musician, Gil Roberts. And they would just continue on um, the jam sessions. Music was so important. And that's where they congregated. So it was really important that even though this is a new one, it's a nod to Mr. Willie Whitfield. And, you know, it
8: just made sense that we end there. Thank you. And so that's happening this weekend, the celebration. I hope that the the story behind the story is lifted up somehow along the way.
3: Oh, yes. Everywhere will be um, uplifted. And if I may, the celebration will continue on Sunday onto the Town Common, where there will be more uplifting going on, education, fun, a market of both food and art marts. And that will be Sunday on June 19th. And that's from 12 p.m. through 7 p.m.
1: And could you tell us one more time for Saturday as well as for Sunday where people should meet I understand free and open to the public and just tell us where we should meet
3: absolutely free and open to the public you will be fed you will be hydrated if you would like to take advantage of public transportation you will need to please gather parking is free at the amherst high school parking lot by 10 30 a.m if you're joining us on foot 11 a.m at the west cemetery to begin
9: mm-hmm. okay i'd like to thank you both for coming uh and continuing to construct bridges on your with your work all puns intended with your love and caring for a brighter future for everyone thank you for coming dr Milkar shabazz and miss anika lopes want to continue to
1: hear from you you been listening to black and valley with carly tartikoff and jacqueline smith crooks our regular segment hosts thank you all so very very much
3: At the Northampton Survival Center, we believe that no one should choose between paying bills or buying food.
0: In
7: the Northampton Survival Center, we believe that no one should choose between paying bills or buying food.
3: We supply free groceries for people in 18 Hampshire County communities in a safe outdoor distribution.
7: Proveemos comestibles gratis to people in 18 communities de Hampshire, in a safe al distribution.
3: For information about grocery pickup or delivery, Call 413-586-6564 or visit northamptonsurvival.org.
7: Para información sobre recogida o entrega de comestibles, llame al 413-586-6564 o visítenos en northamptonsurvival.org.
4: If the
3: challenges of the past year have left you needing help, we are here for you.
7: Si las dificultades del año pasado lo han llevado a necesitar ayuda, estamos aquí para usted.
2: The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group station. It's 10 o'clock.